Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll read the whole chapter, and if you'd like to read with me, please take your pew Bible in front of you and turn to page 1176. 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, Kate. Got to prepare my ground here. I also want to add my thanks to Cambies for his help this weekend, going above and beyond, and uh, really appreciate him, also a brother, so thank you. We still have work to do, but uh, Cambies has done a lot this weekend. There's an appropriate, even helpful question following any Holy Week. And by Holy Week, we mean that one week of the year that's headlined by Good Friday and the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ, culminating with Easter Sunday, celebrating the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that anyone at all, believer or unbeliever, could ask and probably should ask, and that question is, now what? Now what? The subtitle of our sermon for this morning is Another Easter has come and gone. Now what? We'll get to answering that question by working through the reality reflected in our main title, which is, as you see there in your bulletin, Resurrection Power on the Road Less Traveled. Resurrection Power on the Road Less Traveled. You may notice something familiar in that title. Perhaps it's the road less traveled. That part I borrowed from the most famous poem by one of the most famous American poets. I'm talking, of course, about The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. The Road Not Taken, a poem by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler Long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that passing, for though as for that the passing, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. 
and both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Though the last two lines of Frost's poem, I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference, are the more famous lines. Perhaps the most famous lines in all of American poetry, if you don't count nevermore, nevermore. We must choose, as Frost's titles draws attention to, the road not taken. Frost highlights the truth, the road not taken is as important as the one we take. So far as I can tell, Robert Frost wasn't a Christian and his poem is not a Christian poem per se. The road not traveled does, however, express a thoroughly biblical Christian truth. We saw it last Sunday as Joel Mogilevsky was baptized as a disciple of Jesus Christ Biblical Christian baptism represents a decisive choice of a lifelong following of Jesus over and against all the other choices available. And I know that was and is Joel's intention. But it's certainly a fundamental truth of the gospel that has been lost to most Christians and churches today. We've, we've come to believe that we can have it all. We can pursue and possess the great American or Canadian or Canadian-American dream and pursue and possess Christ simultaneously and without conflict. Perhaps they're even or essentially the same thing, the road with Christ and the American or Canadian-American dream. They are not. A truly biblical Christian faith inevitably produces a truly biblical Christian life. It's about making good, right, and true choices over the lesser choices. One biblical Christian lifestyle over any others. One set of biblical Christian values and qualities over many others. One biblical Christian truth over any number of competing, compelling, yet contradictory truths. One true gospel over every other false gospel. And one God in Christ Jesus over all other gods, or no God at all. In short, applying the insight of Robert Frost that the road not taken is every bit as important and complementary to any road that we end up taking is consistent with a truly biblical Christian approach to life and work, family and faith, doctrine and practice, worship and word and church. Not choosing the lesser enables us to choose the better. So when Jesus said, as he is recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, to have said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Among other things, he was making clear that he is the only way 
And he is the only truth. And he is the only life. Okay, we might say, if we are inquirers about this Christian faith business, but to what end is Jesus Christ the only way and the only truth and the only life? Well, this answer and understanding becomes clear as Jesus himself confirms by his very own conclusion, still in verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, the Christian life is an exclusive sort of life with a particular destination, and that destination, though it has different names, Abraham's bosom, resting with with our fathers, heaven, paradise, that particular destination is God in Christ Jesus himself. Jesus did not say, I will show you the way. Jesus did not say, I will teach you the truth. Jesus did not say, I will give you the life. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We have to choose. Friends, the the Christian life is an exclusive sort of life with with a particular destination, as I said, and God in Christ Jesus himself is our destination. In truth, and and this is exceptionally important for would-be biblical Christians and churches, heaven is only our destination to the extent that we mean it to mean wherever God is. That's the value of heaven. I I know that there are many other aspects of heaven that are appealing. But the thing that makes heaven heaven is that God is there. Christ Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us and there's a very clear sense in which he is our place. Heaven is only our destination to the extent that we mean it to mean wherever God is. Yes, there is a sense in which God is omnipresent, that is, everywhere present always and at the same time. But he's not everywhere present simultaneously here and now because of the reality and effects of the fall, like he will be in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell, where there is no longer sin, there is no longer death, there is no longer any reason or cause for separations. We are one with him and he with us. Yes, and but, there is a sort of separation involved in the here and now before the restoration of all things in Christ. And we do far too much lamenting as Christians, I mean, not even as unbelievers, as Christians, what we might miss out on for the sake of Christ. Even though the outcome is life abundant and eternal. So both by biblical definition and Christian, Christian practice, accepting the discipleship of Jesus Christ by his word and spirit must be done deliberately and thoughtfully, knowing it will eliminate many options that will be available to others, and we must be okay with that. So if you're not there already, I'd like for you to turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1, as Kate instructed. 
you to do. That was page 11, what? 76, I think, 1176, I think that's right. In your few Bibles. For the rest of our time this morning, I'd like for us to work through answering that question after Holy Week, what now or what's next? With these few verses, 1 through 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1, and then still more focusing our time, energy, and attention on verses 3 through 9. Now, most of us won't normally keep track of such things, but today is the eighth day of Easter in the year 2022. The eighth day of Easter, or Resurrection Sunday. is day one, and this is day eight of Easter. And the counting ends with the 50th day of Easter, which is also known as, does anybody know? Pentecost. That's exactly right. Yes. Pentecost is not merely or even primarily a Christian event or Sunday on our annual church calendar. Pentecost is an ancient Hebrew or Jewish holiday that occurs 50 days, sound familiar? After Passover, known as Shavuot, which is to offer thanksgiving to God for the harvest as well as remembering the law Moses received from God on Mount Sinai. Of course, Passover celebrates the passing over of the homes of God's people by the death angel because of the blood of the sacrificial lamb painted on the doorframe of each home to protect them from the last of the 10 plagues against Pharaoh and resulted in the release of Israel from their slavery in Egypt of more than 400 years. Turning to the New Testament or Christian events of Jesus' resurrection and Pentecost, you'll remember that Pentecost was the day of the Holy Spirit's arrival sent by the Father and recently ascended Son to reside within God's people by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if Good Friday occurred on April 5th, Passover of that year then occurred on April 6th, the next day, and Easter or Resurrection Sunday happened the day after that, April 7th in the year 33 AD. We've assumed this throughout our discussion over these last eight weeks or so. And that means that the first Pentecost Sunday happened in history 50 days later, that is 50 days after Pentecost, which would have been on Sunday, May 26, 33 AD, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. The most important things for us to take from this review of Hebrew holidays is one, Jesus' death and resurrection fully fulfilled God's Passover promise to deliver his people from our sins. And two, the Holy Spirit's coming and his distribution to all God's people at Pentecost fulfilled, so far as it is possible on earth, God's promise to dwell in and not only among and with his people. It's not the whole thing. The Holy Spirit is known as a deposit or a down payment or the guarantee. It's not the whole thing, but it's the beginning of God's presence in us as well as among us and with us. 
Of course, we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from sin. Of course, we need the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and his justifying resurrection from the dead. But we also and equally need God's personal presence, the Holy Spirit, and the very power of the resurrection to walk the way of Jesus. It can't be done any other way. It simply can't. And though Jesus himself is the way and the truth and the life, we must step out by faith into him. We must step out by faith behind him. And then we must step out in faith to follow him for the rest of our earthly lives in full hope and faith in him. To do so, we must have the Holy Spirit with us, in us, and among us. Otherwise, the best we can do is approximate faith, hope, love, and life in a dead religion. Now, the reason such would be dead is that the Spirit of Christ would not be there. The reason it'd be merely religion is it'd be little more than an unsatisfying going through the motions repetitively, hoping for a different result every time. So as we get started with our text, let's begin to process the central truth of our message. We've already read it once. It's conveniently printed for you there in the upper left-hand corner of your bulletin. But let me read it one more time. The way of Jesus Christ. The road less traveled is the way of hope, trials, suffering, honor, and glory, all in the same power of the resurrection. Let's read the first couple of verses from our text in 1 Peter, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now I'd like to highlight four quick things that will be very helpful for us to take from Peter's greeting to the recipients of his letter, including us. First of all, his intended recipients are the elect. To those who are elect, he says in his second line. Those chosen by God to hope and life and eternity with Jesus through faith in him. God in Christ Jesus has chosen his people. We have not chosen him. He hasn't only chosen his people, Israel, which he certainly did, but he has also chosen us, the people, the church. Secondly, they are not yet home and neither are we. By that I mean two things more. First, they experienced what Peter by the Spirit calls exiles of the dispersion. They were driven out of Jerusalem. The text actually says flung. I mean, that's kind of the force of the, of the verb. They were flung out of Jerusalem to reside all throughout what we now call Asia Minor. And wherever they landed, they assembled together into churches, 
probably mostly, if not exclusively, in homes, so very small groups of people, generally speaking. But secondly, they had not yet arrived at their ultimate destination, that is, in God. And by faith, we receive this message as for us, too. Thirdly, Peter assures them and us that if we are in Christ, we are secure in Christ. And since we are secure in Christ, God will accomplish his sanctifying work, that is, his work to make us holy, and the whole Trinity, did you know that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity works together and in concert to do this work of making us holy. And fourthly, Peter writes to encourage them and us in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. As they must have been encouraged by Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, so should we. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, I, I liked the way the NIV put that, in the sanctifying work of the Spirit, I think that get, that, that's, that's more lively, more uh, vivid for us, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood by which we are cleansed from our sins, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So now that we've got that necessary and I believe very helpful background, we can move into what I'm calling resurrection power on the road less traveled. Of course, Robert Frost highlighted with his title, The Road Not Taken. Then he spends the entire rest of his poem leading to the main point, which was not all about the road not taken, really, but the value of taking the road less traveled. Surely we know that the way of Jesus Christ, which can be summarized as the road to the cross, is also ours as we follow him, and it certainly is the road less traveled. The first thing that I would have us to take from these verses, verse 3 through 9, first point of three, we cannot and we will not navigate successfully or fruitfully or even discern or survive the road less traveled with Christ apart from this resurrection power. Who is the Holy Spirit? One more time. We cannot and we will not navigate successfully or fruitfully or even discern or survive the road less traveled with Christ apart from this resurrection power the Holy Spirit. Now, at first glance, you may think I'm reading the Holy Spirit into this text. We did see the Holy Spirit named explicitly in verse 2, but nowhere in verses 3 through 9. But this text can teach us something very important about the Holy Spirit, which is he is everywhere in the text, every text, and often in the background, but he is there. Let's look at the text, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. There's your first reference to the Holy Spirit. We must be born by the Spirit, born again, or as the NIV said, new birth. But this reference to being born again is a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit within the life of a believer when he, he 
moves them from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, walking in darkness to walking in light, having no hope and without God in the world to having all hope and with God in Christ Jesus forever, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There he is again from the dead. By what power was Jesus raised from the dead? By the power of the Holy Spirit. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, there's the Holy Spirit again, are being guarded, there's the Holy Spirit. Remember, we are sealed until the day of redemption. You remember that? Ephesians chapter 4. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I'm I'm not going to do my sermon on this topic in the last time or in the last days or... um, I'll just say this. Usually in the New Testament, it doesn't mean the return of Christ on the last day. Usually in the New Testament, in the last time or in the last days, something like that. There are many different varieties of it throughout the New Testament. Usually it's talking about every day after Christ came the first time. After Christ's death, after his resurrection, after his ascension to uh, the Father, and especially after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit has been given out, every day following those events is one day of the last days, according to the writers of the New Testament and the perspective of the writers of the New Testament. So as I've shared with you before, if somebody asks me, Pastor, and usually they mean something quite different, but Pastor, do you believe we're in the last days? My response is always, it depends on what you mean by the last days. If you mean Jesus could come back tomorrow, well, I think that's probably unlikely. And, and so, no, in that sense, I don't, I don't think we're in the last days. But if you mean every, that we're in one of the days after Jesus came the first time, absolutely. We are in one of the last days, and all the days following will be one of the last days until he finally returns, which he said no one will know, even the hour or the day. And that's the, way it mean, that's the way it's used here. In the last times means since Jesus came, since we've come to faith, now in the last times as we await his appearance the second time, we will live in a particular way. That's what the text here means. It doesn't mean the writer of 1 Peter, which, who is Peter, believe it or not, uh, it doesn't mean that Peter thought that Jesus might return the day after he wrote this, in the last in these last days, in the last times. No, he was saying, in the future, Jesus is coming, and every day from now until then is one of the last days. So we are in the last days. We are in the last times. It may take 2,000 years. Ah, it, it almost has already. And every one of those Christians throughout the ages, from AD 33, day one after Jesus' resurrection, after Jesus' ascension, after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost on May the 26th, 33 AD, every day after that is one of the last days.
So we cannot and we will not navigate successfully or fruitfully or even discern or survive the road less traveled with Christ apart from this resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what we're about to read and hear and hopefully apply properly is some of the most important truth for the well-lived and long-lived, even a lifetime in the true Christian life. So it's important. It's, it's only two verses. Let's hear the point first, and then we'll look at the text. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection, brings us joy even in the midst of trials and suffering that come as we travel this less taken road with Christ. One more time. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection, brings us joy even in the midst of trials and suffering that come, I should say, that surely will come as we travel this less taken road with Christ. We must recover, both as Christians and as a Christian church, a small part of the living church of Jesus Christ. We're not very big, but we are part of the biggest thing in the universe, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in terms of import and purpose and function and his presence and favor. We must recover the biblical understanding and the personal sense that wherever the spirit of Jesus Christ is, there we find the very presence of Jesus Christ. We often think about the Spirit being here and the Father being there and Jesus being, well, right beside the Father. The Holy Spirit is not explicitly mentioned here either, but Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ and the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, are one in the same, equal members of the Holy Trinity. We can even say biblically and Christianly that the Holy Spirit is both the person and the presence of Jesus Christ given to us, both Christians and churches, for this life on this earth as a deposit, as I mentioned earlier, as a down payment, as a guarantee. All three of those are mentioned in scripture used at various times about the Holy Spirit from God to us until Jesus comes. And this is the insight that Paul, by the Holy Spirit, gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, which you will know is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, when he writes, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, now the Lord is the Spirit. Emphasis mine. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is somebody? Freedom. Now I pause here, as I do most of the time when I'm dealing with this verse. This freedom is not the kind of freedom we've become accustomed to in North America. This is not doing what you want, when you want, with whom you want, whenever you want. That's not the sort of freedom that the Bible promises to God's people. The sort of freedom that the Bible promises to God's people is the sort of freedom that allows us to live without sin. I I know we all sin. I'm not not a holiness preacher. I'm not saying that we never sin, and if we do sin, we've lost our salvation. That's, that's, That's garbage. I had another word, but it was trying to get out. I I restrained restrained myself there. But sin will no longer have mastery over us. That's the freedom that we get in Christ and that the Bible promises us. 
And notice the contrast here. That sin that we have mastery over in Christ is most of the stuff that people call freedom. It's not. It's bondage. It's death. So let's understand what the Holy Spirit is saying here when through Paul he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, God's freedom, the freedom to live a godly life, the freedom to honor God with our lives, the freedom to give our lives in service to God, knowing that after that is a reward coming that will last for all eternity. That's the sort of freedom that allows people to go to mission fields where they expect that they'll have a very difficult time and some of them expect to die. That's freedom. That's the freedom that we're talking about here. And we all, verse 18, and we all, with unveiled face, not like Moses who had his face veiled after he came down from Mount Sinai, but with unveiled face, full transparency, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, here's the Christ-likeness process, are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, watch it now, who is the Spirit. I love that verse, don't you? Those two verses? Did I mention they're two of my favorites in the Bible? Well, look at verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. Well, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Having his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, and and who of us are not there now, and uh, though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials so that, it's not without purpose, so that, there's your purpose statement, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, the genuine, the tested genuine of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this recalls for us 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, where he talks about living a life in such a way that we will not shrink in shame at the appearance of Jesus. Oh, no, not now. I'm, I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. No. My Lord. You've come just as you promised. That's what he's talking about here. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's something to live for. So the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection, brings us joy even in the midst of trials and suffering that come as we travel, 
surely will come as we travel this less taken road with Christ. Finally, we can, and I believe we should this morning, process the Christian life as the road less traveled, which it surely is, through the lens of verses eight and nine. But here's, here's, here's the point of truth first. It's number three of three. The love of Christ, the love for Christ, and the presence of Christ manifests in the life of believers and churches by the Holy Spirit in our faith and ultimate salvation. We didn't come to faith. He gave us faith. He brought us faith. He has drawn us to himself, and he has given us the ability to believe. The love of Christ, the love for Christ, and the presence of Christ manifests in the life of believers and churches by the Holy Spirit in our faith and ultimately our salvation. Verses 8 and 9. Now, we all know the greatest commandment, right? If I were to summarize it, as I often do, it would be love God with our whole being. Isn't that what Jesus said? Love God with our whole being, and Jesus taught us that the second commandment is like it. Yes, it's second, but it's not lesser. Love God, sorry, love our neighbors as ourselves. And what we learn throughout the rest of the New Testament, including here in these few verses, is that we will love God with our whole being and our neighbors as ourselves only by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. What I'm calling this morning resurrection power on the road less traveled. Verses 8 and 9 read this way. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Speaking of Christ, we've just talked about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the love of Christ, we could even say the love of Christ forever for others, the love for Christ that we have, and the presence of Christ that's manifesting in the life of believers and in the life of churches does so by the Holy Spirit in or through our faith and ultimately results in our salvation. As we close, let's remember the central truth of our message, which has been the way of Jesus Christ, the road less traveled, is the way of hope, trials, suffering, honor, and glory all in the same power of the resurrection. This has been resurrection power on the road less traveled, the Christian road, the way of Jesus Christ, the road to the cross. May we get back onto it in answer to the good and necessary question, what's next or what now after Holy Week 2022? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we once again come before you at the end of a worship service at the end of a message, uh, one uh, that we hope is offered in faith and received in faith, declared in faith, obeyed in faith. We thank you for what you have done in us in Jesus Christ, but we also know that you didn't leave us to figure it out afterwards. How, how do we live as Christians? What, what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? No, you have given us your word and you have given us your spirit both of which we need desperately to know and to follow. Help us to remember, especially in those difficult times of trial or tribulation or suffering or temptation, 
that you have given us. In fact, you have taken up residence in us as the resurrection power, the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ. And you are on the road with us, though it be less traveled. I commend this message to you, Lord, that we might all apply it in ways that only you can do to our lives and our ministries. In Jesus' name, amen. You know that I'd like to send us off with biblical benedictions, and I thought I'd do one that I'd never, never done before. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. I'll let you do with that what you will. No kidding, right here, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 15, to his recipients, including us. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. See you next time.